Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare. And I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. You know, a couple of years ago, I had like this ridiculously insane opportunity to be on the cover of Newsweek magazine. You might have seen it. Some of you know me a long time that are listeners of the show or the old show at Super Cancer. And man, was that a privilege? I was on the cover with three other luminaries. It was really a seminal cover story. And within the magazine itself, which, by the way, was a special edition of Newsweek specifically on Cancer Rebels, were many articles about not just the four of us on the cover, but sort of the, uh, the systemic issues facing patient advocacy today, research, access, the usual suspects. One of the journalists that did the piece on me specifically was Jessica Ferger. And we became fast friends. This is five years ago, perhaps. Anyway, so we recently reunited over LinkedIn and text and all the things. And, and I invited her to come here to Offscript Health Studios for an in-person interview and kind of a band reunion cover-versary thing for Newsweek. Jess has been a health journalist and an editor for so many years. She's covered everything from chronic medical conditions, the heavy burden of infectious disease, public health, innovative tech, the future of medicine, and she's written for The Wall Street Journal, Everyday Health, CBS, New Yorker, Newsweek, Dr. Oz, CNN. I mean, what else do you need? She's the real deal. It was such a privilege and a pleasure in the karma of the universe for all things full circle to see her again, give her a big hug, and just have a fabulous, organic conversation. You are going to love this show. Jess Ferger, here we go. I am here with Jessica Ferger. I am so excited to welcome you to Out of Patience. Thank you for having me. It's been a minute since I saw you, and it the world is quite different now. Like It's always nice, oh, when times were simpler, right? I'm going to lurch into how the Gen Zers are asking the Gen Xers what nuclear holocaust was like in the 80s. Right. Oh, it was Rocky IV. He fixed everything. Come on, where's <laughs> our Rocky right now? <laughs> It's really funny. <laughs> For those listening, I have to point out, many of you may know that I was once on a cover of Newsweek magazine, something I've been pulling forward <laughs> as long as I can squeeze every time out of it I can. 
one of the biggest privileges of my career was to bring that level of exposure to the national public audience. And I have Jess Ferger to thank for that. You're very welcome. I think about that work weekly, easily. I was actually telling... News weekly or just weekly? News, yeah. <laughs> no, well, now that I'm out of news, I would right. say weekly. I was telling some colleagues in at Union Square and Company Book Publishing, where I work now, about the about the issue and how it was definitely one of those benchmarks of my career to have the opportunity to identify what the you know, one of the most important things that was going on in healthcare at the time and in medicine. It was wide open, do a special issue about cancer. And we settled on this idea of people that were breaking the mold of what cancer care should look like and who is, you know, who is the patient that's getting it. It's not always in, you know, a 75 year old man. And you showed up. I, I started doing the research and, and there you were. And this morphed into this concept of cancer rebels. And I think you are like the OG cancer rebel. I had someone on the show recently who asked me what my treatment was. She, she's a oncologist. And I told her what I had. And without too much jargon, I had something called stereotactic radiosurgery in addition to full body cranial radiation Lots of syllables there, but A, they don't do stereotactic radiosurgery, SRS, anymore. And she's like, you had that and you're alive? <laughs> so apparently I'm dated to the contrary, one of the oldest surviving SRS cancer patients in the country. That's amazing. So, you know, it was a pleasure to be alive <laughs> to work with Newsweek on this. I do want to point out that you also took on cannabis in that mm-hmm. article, something that is clearly not nearly as controversial, here we are seven years later, right. but- at the time, it was quite rebellious of you guys to choose to add that to the narrative. What was behind that decision? And not only not only marijuana, but marijuana for children yes. with cancer, mm-hmm. which was even, I guess, more not maybe shocking. I guess you could say shocking for the time. It's so funny that it's, it's only seven years ago, and you right. think even just how much has changed with that. What was his name? Landon. He he had been featured in a documentary for uh, that see, that uh, Sanjay Gupta did on on marijuana and legalizing marijuana, and he had had, I believe, did he have? I think he had leukemia, or he right. had he had a you we'll know fact a, check after the fact. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Google it, people. Um, And his, you know, he just couldn't get the right treatment and his mom fought fought for it and would just cross state lines to get it for him. And there were arrests and her kid was taken away and just all of the stuff. And they just became they became he and, you know, she and her son became activists. And I even I, I wrote that that piece and he I think I even spoke to him for it. And it was just it's pretty amazing. You know, this is just like a mother who's desperate to keep her son alive and keep him well. And, you know, I we also took on intimacy and sex, which was a huge big deal. Well, you had my colleague Tamika Felder mm-hmm. on the cover with us, which was many, many things, the least of which being that she's a woman of color. Yes. And health equity is all the jargon these days when, in fact, it should have been a conversation we've been having for so many years now. But to feature a black woman 
on the cover of Newsweek for Cancer Rebels about sex and intimacy was, again, way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think when I thought about the cover, I felt like all the so much of the coverage of cancer, it's like the way the media is portraying it, it's like still very clinical. And it's like you see, you know, kind of the way we see all the stuff, all this the boring stock images for vaccines. It's just like mm-hmm. really clinical, dry images. And thank you, Getty. And exactly. <laughs> All the images. <laughs> exactly. And at the end of the day, cancer is about people and people who are trying to continue, you know, stay alive and stay healthy and continue to live their lives. So that's that's what should be front and center. And I loved you know that the the cover was not my idea. It was our uh, our amazing art director's idea, who Michael? I, right? Yeah, who is yeah. who is still at Newsweek? I and, love that guy. And is so he's Props so him. good. I know. And it was yeah, it was it was like kind of. I feel like it was still sort of a radical idea to do what we did. So yeah, good it on also, us. No, good on you for sure. It also speaks to you know the documentary that we produced last year, the Cancer Mavericks on. Mm-hmm. What it was even like to even say the word in the 1960s, in the 1970s. It's just amazing to think that even like 35 years ago in 1986, an organization was founded called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship just to get the government to recognize that we're people that need insurance and rights. And here we are today with what I basically better problems to have, I suppose. Right. I mean, I think the pandemic is... A good example in terms of the media's portrayal of it, where there's, as somebody who has been in news, you're like, you put together a story on maybe, I don't know, the approval of the of a booster, the vaccine booster for certain age group of children. And so the last thing you have to do, you need to get the story up. The thing you have to do is find the photo, you know, a photo to, to right. you know, slap on the article and they become it's it's a very weird thing because all of these news photos they become kind of like stock photos. Yeah, yeah. And when I was at CNN, sometimes I would like you know make sure like go through our feed and make sure because sometimes we would have just like the same photo right. for for <laughs> like the, the last five <laughs> articles, and then you would go you would like click on like USA Today's website and they have the exact same yeah. photos, mm-hmm. and I think that's. Pictures speak louder than words. And I think I would say that's like one of the things that maybe makes people start to stop pay attention. They kind of shut down. They're like, well, this is just I saw this already. You know, well, is that does that speak to a a change in the dogma of photojournalism? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, most most uh, online sites are using wire services are using because it's cheaper and easier. Right. Yeah. It's it's a very rare that you have outlets that have their own photographer. I mean, the, the you know, the New York Times does. They, right. You know, they still will pick up like a photo from Getty or something, but they're, you know, they're, they're using their own photographers. Does Getty people. get a paid for mentioning their name? Because <laughs> 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 I don't want to incur too much no, cost. They'll no. come after you saying the word Getty. No, I'm talking about the gas station. <laughs> Not you guys in L.A., I promise. For sure. <laughs> So looking at your incredibly storied career, you are insanely prolific. I just, I did my diligence and went back. I, again, like the list 
is endless, who you've written for, who you've worked for. I mean, I just as if you don't need more credibility. MSN, BBC, Fox and Friends, NPR, Dr. Oz, CBS, Everyday Health, Wall Street Journal, New Yorker, Newsweek. Like, what else? What haven't? Who haven't you written for? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I one of my favorite articles you wrote, and this is just a total throwaway right now, is your investigative report into what the hell's in our chocolate during Halloween. Do you remember that piece? <laughs> yes. I just because you know I, my kids Halloween and like every every time we go to the you know it was whatever, pre-pandemic Halloween, where they just dump crap in your pumpkin or whatever. Yeah. So they put, like, Hershey's chocolate. Like, what the hell is Oh, it's the Jewish-Israeli kosher version of Hershey's. <laughs> like, eh, no. But I love that you are of this very, almost like old school doesn't do it justice, but, like, you really want to get into what this actually is. And you said before, like, the humanizing of healthcare, of people, right? The sanitization of everything that comes to the agencies or the newswires. How have you seen that in any way? I mean, I hate to think that the news we cover was the only thing that demonstrated that you can get great things done and make real impact by doing something that is just so obvious. Yeah. Well, I think the hard thing just so... As you know, I've now left journalism. I'm. I'm Isn't I, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm sleeping better now. Yes, but I can imagine. <laughs> I think, and so now for you know all of our listeners, I'm I'm working in the book publishing industry, so I'm back in print. I'm editing books on health and wellness for uh, Union Square and Company, but I think health journalism has been consumed by the pandemic, understandably. And my feeling just kind of coming off, like hot off the heels from it is that it's a relentless, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the pandemic is slowing down, but I can, I can guarantee that every health desk and every newsroom has, they're just like waiting for the next surge, you know, they're well, like, what's the scanxiety version of just waiting for the next? I mean, have we run out of Greek letters yet? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I mean, that's it, I mean, the, the, a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is that this this virus has become endemic and it was def. It's definitely been, you know, a situation for colleagues who are at other places that have also been involved in coverage that. This happens a lot with with coverage of the Trump administration. It's not sustainable to stay in this breaking news. Yeah, everything's um, breaking. Yeah, Every, we said all the <laughs> things aren't breaking news. Exactly. <laughs> I have I like follow so many feeds with like good news and yes. happy news. Like yes. What is the unbreaking news social media platform that I can subscribe to today? Exactly. I have at this point forgotten the question you asked. Oh, I, me too. Me too. So I'm 26 years out of out of cancer, and I'm. I don't turning, have an excuse. No, but I'm turning 48, and the, I guess maybe the delta between the aging and the late effects cancel out any excuse I could ever have again. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. No, I I hear you. Well, I had long COVID, so 
and and had quite a hard time neurologically. Well, I was reading, you, you wrote a piece, you had mild COVID, but mild COVID isn't mild. That was the editor's Yeah, doing. see? Yeah. Stupid editor, come on, do your job. <laughs> I had, so I, I got sick, I was like, you know, a pioneer. I was sick by like the end of March, you know, 2020. So I- Oh wait, I want to get to that. Yeah. But after the break. Okay. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I had COVID Classic as well, which is what I'm calling it. It's COVID yeah. Classic because before we knew what it was, we had it. And we're like, what the hell was that? What? So how were you drafted into the COVID Classic club? So this is like a fun. So my boyfriend, Matt, and I, we play. Not you. <laughs> yeah, we should clarify that. I am happily married. And my wife is named Jess. <laughs> but you're Jess and dating a Matt. Good for yeah. you. We play this game sometimes. We're like, where did, because I got it. And then he was sick like 24 hours later. And so we, we suspect that we got it while waiting online at the pharmacy at Target because I had to pick up a prescription medication and this woman. And it was like before anybody was, I mean, we started wearing masks like, the CDC told us to like mid-April. Well, here's the thing. We are taping this today on March 11th. I know. Which is exactly the two-year anniversary of the lockdown in New York City. Yeah. This show's going to air clearly after March 11th, but here we are on the two-year anniversary of the lockdown. Crazy. And you're at Target in front of like a snot-sniffling human being or something? Yeah. And uh, and we kept moving up to get away from her and she kept getting closer and closer. <laughs> and both of us were like, I, like I needed a drink by the time right, we right. left. And because it was, it felt, you know, just so like apocalyptic in New York City, then the line was just forever. And yeah. the place was like 
crowded and it looked like the shelves had been looted. I mean, it was like a Target in Brooklyn. So that's right, right. kind well, of just yeah. what it looks like. And yeah, and then I would say five or six days later, I just felt like total garbage and got, well, I'll back up and say, so first of all, I have epilepsy and I've had epilepsy since I was eight years old. And it's all, it's been really under very, like it's under very good control. I hadn't up until I got COVID, I hadn't had a seizure in like, oh my God, over 10 years. Right. And the day before I started to develop symptoms of the virus, I was like just sitting and I started to feel like I was having a seizure, but it had been like, like I, I get like partial seizures, so I don't lose consciousness. May I say seizurettes? Exactly. Okay. And it, it had been so long since I had had one that I had to, like, it didn't occur to me until after when I had like, I walked around the rest of the day with like a massive headache. Like mm. somebody had hit me on my head and I went into the grocery store and I went in there. I knew I needed half and half and something else. And I got there and I'm like, what, what the fuck did I come here for? And I right. had to like stand and I like looked around and like, oh yeah, that's what I need. But that was your pre-symptom. That was my pre-symptom. Yeah. So immediately. And then the next day I got like all of the textbook symptoms. I had a lot of chest inflammation. Like that was, it took a long time to recover from that. Did you have like a fever? I did. I had a fever. I, I can't, I mean, it was relatively high. It My wasn't, fever was 101 for two days. That seems around what yeah. I had to, but yeah. And, and then, you know, and I slowly got better, but I started to notice as we now hear so many people talking, I was having a lot of brain fog. I would like my short term memory just did not work. It was like, so you do have an excuse. <laughs> You've made my excuse irrelevant. Yeah. I actually, I wrote about this for Medium for Elemental, but I was like, I, I was living alone at that time. So it was like after, you know, I'm like, oh, good, I'm getting better. Like I haven't cleaned this apartment and, you know, close to a month, I'm going to like get my right, shit right. together. And I just put the tea kettle on to boil like a minute ago and I'm cleaning the stove and I went to pick up the tea kettle and I almost ran my hand oh over my. over the flame because I like my brain was that messed up from right. the virus. Did you go for the plasma studies or donate any of your any of that? Because remember, they were asking people to yeah. be part of that. I did not. Did you? Well, here's the weird part. And this is like, like memento level understanding how the hell this happened. Yeah. The city opened up COVID testing for children first. So our pediatricians called and said, we'd like you to bring in the kids to make sure they're okay. And this is like during lockdown. So we went there. And while we were there, they said beyond, you know, this is when like the swab went into your brain, not just <laughs> the early swab in your brain days. And they said, while you're here, we have an antibody blood test, the first ones that were delivered to the city, and said, all right, let's get them a blood test. And they, they said, would you and your wife like it as well while you're here? Yeah. And we said, sure. So they did the swabs and they did the blood test. And the results came back. We're all COVID negative. 
but I was the only one positive for antibodies. Wow. Which confirmed that what I thought I had or what happened to me weeks prior was definitely COVID-19 classic. Mm -hmm. So what happened was they invited me, the weirdest thing, to enroll in, nerd alert, a longitudinal antibody shedding study to see if, you know, because we were way before any vaccines were even in the, the mind's eye. How quickly do human beings shed the antibodies when they had COVID Classic? Mm-hmm. And it turns out I never lost my antibodies. I went for every other month. I went back for testing, and it was the, th- the same made-up number. It was the same level. Same level. That's interesting. I, you know, so when I, when I actually got the vaccine, I was sick for like a week because it like I didn't need it, but I had it. Yeah. But the very idea that I was sick for four days in my house. And we live in a tiny railroad apartment in Brighton Beach. And none of my family, who you're interacting with every day, yeah. had COVID is astonishing. And I'm lucky. I have enough late effects from crap 26 years ago. I don't have any long COVID. But this whole, we have no idea how many millions of people went through this and are, you know, quote unquote, out scot-free and yet maybe not scot-free. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's really, I think you're not, this is not the first time I've heard that, you know, someone in the household did, had it, and then three other people who live there did not get sick. I mean, I think scientifically it just, and we've, I'm reading about this, it just says, it just shows that there's, that the virus is really complex and certain people are more vulnerable than others and that there's not, you know, it's it's not surprising to me that the messaging and our understanding is changing every day because the virus is changing every day. Well, again, like it's it's viruses have been around since evolution itself. Yeah. Their job is to not think but do. Yeah. Did your family take good care of you when you were sick? No. No. <laughs> One of- one of my friends who's also part of the company, his name is Jean-Luc Neptune. He's an MD, PhD, MBA, like super smart guy. He got COVID classic as well, but it was a little after we knew what it was. So he quarantined in his bedroom and his family like lived on the other side of the apartment for 10 days and literally fed him food like in the jail cell where they slide it under the door. So he took all these precautions. We didn't know how to do that at this time. So I'm just, just the fact that we're recording this on the two-year anniversary, Yeah, it's like, it's surreal. And it's not really over because like I said, endemic is this new word we've learned about. Like yeah. now everyone knows that the FDA can get things done, but we now know a new word. Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, as of recording this, it's still a shit show. Mm-hmm. Right. The influenza is right. endemic and it comes back all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like I think anybody who thinks that we're done with this is just delusional because we're not. And even if we were, there's something else right around the corner. One of the other another big story that I did at Newsweek and I laugh now because it was such a big deal was when Zika landed in Miami Beach. I'm going to chuckle. <laughs> Zika. And it was like this big deal, like, right. holy crap, this scary mosquito-borne illness. And and I, I went down there on assignment to do like a big feature. 
and I identified public health workers and I secretly followed them in my, you know, Miami Beach, like, um, what is it? I forget what the, the, like that main road where you go, where there's like all, like it's basically like an outdoor mall. Right, right. And I followed, I just, I, I spot them. They had water, they had like uh, coolers for drinks, but they were going around they they picked a time just like before dinner and they were knocking on people's doors to get urine samples. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a fun job. Yeah. <laughs> and it was optional to give them, but this was like this crazy public health intervention and people are like, Oh my God, the plague is coming. And it's just, it's just kind of really funny to right. think about that now. I have a very unscientific theory yeah. about how we've eroded our immune systems as a species because of the over-purification before the pandemic and how mm. playgrounds are made of styrofoam now and no one gets hurt. And, you know, bleeding is a good thing every now and then. I don't mean, like, go get hurt and really be in trouble, but it's okay to get normal sick, play in dirt, eat things, go get your testes shocked. Like, we, it's like it's such a Gen X rant. In my day, we actually got really sick and we yeah. healed and we were finding our immune system is great now. Between... The hyperpurification of society, that germs are bad when germs are really good for you, the biome issues of like eating crap, there's no nutrients in our body anymore, and two years of not having colds and flus, we could all get knocked over by a breeze. Don't you True. think? Yeah. I mean, the, the hygiene hypothesis, that's totally Oh, is that what it's true. called? Yeah. All right. So my made up thing is actually a thing? No, it's it's a thing. It's a, the idea that you need exposure to um, pathogens to build up your immune system, which makes, you know, every people, people have learned more about the immune system in the last two years right, than, right. than in time. Well, two thirds of people have learned. Th- <laughs> <laughs> Those um, people may not be listening to the show. Right, right. Yeah, so you you do need those things, but I gotta say, I I have only been sick once in the last two years, and that was when I had COVID, and I I think that I might just wear a mask when I take the train for the rest of my life because I don't I, I'd rather Welcome just to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather just not get sick. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. With with any like I I used to get cold all the time. I hate getting colds. Well, that's the thing, too. Here in New York City, there are certain cultures that wear masks all the time anyway. True. And we're like, we're making fun of them. No, they were the smart ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had it right all along. Right. Yeah. And I also think about it's so weird to think pre-pandemic we lived in this culture where you still like showed up to work if you had a runny nose right. and you like visibly look sick like how am i i did that so many times it's crazy to think right how many but you you don't look good today joe conversations have existed in the workforce oh my god (laughs) and like and also just like going because i like i've had so many evil bosses like early in my career when i was like assistant level or like low low level jobs where i like went so that like my evil boss could actually see that i really wasn't unwell Mm -hmm. and then they could like send you know like i really have to me you've thrown up today (laughs) then i'll send you home exactly here's the bucket enjoy yeah So you switched gears. Yeah. You left journalism and yes. you said it's been the probably the best decision you've made. Besides yeah. the news we cover, of course. We're gonna right. milk that. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're in book editing, book publishing. I'm in yeah, I'm editing people still read books. They do. I have to ask the question. They do, and in fact, they're reading more books 
than they were pre-pandemic. Like the industry is is doing well. People are picking up books. I mean, who's who knows what's going to happen now that summer is coming? I mean, summer people read books during the summer, but um, now that like people are all the restrictions are are coming down, but people were looking for ways to entertain themselves and escape and well podcasts i hear all the rage yeah wink wink (laughs) nudge nudge fifth wall here no it's true i i I think so but um yeah i think that for me professionally i started to feel well first of all i really miss print and i miss i'm sorry what was that word (laughs) print print it's like words. It's a you know you uh, there's paper and there's oh, words. Oh, Gutenberg, that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, Rings words a bell. on a page. But I think that I realized that I could use my powers in in a way that that I would be creating, helping to create projects that were a little that were thoughtful. Not that there's a lot of wonderful journalism happening out there. I'm not going to sit and trash talk. I mean, it's Well, you, you know, could. I could, but the, but it but it's not true, but in terms of my own feelings and goals, I wanted to be able to create projects and really spend time like do, doing like much more thoughtful work and be able to help authors be you know become advocates in some way through their work and and use it to really build their platform and get their message across and it just it just seemed like the right next move for me I think there's definitely in terms of just what I'm ex- what I'm experiencing just with my work mental health is really top of mind for everyone I think and you know, I think that we're in a situation where so so many people were so isolated for so long and they really um, they're either I think they're either really scared to get themselves back out and resume a normal life or have social connections or they are like they're just they can't get enough of it and they need a way they need to focus it somehow. Well, I can't understate this to the listeners. There have been very few seminal moments in my ridiculously crazy career and life that I can point to that really did kind of put like uh, nitrous oxide in the tank, so to speak. And being profiled on the cover of Newsweek with my peers was definitely on the Mount Rushmore of my life. And I, I thank you so much for your, honestly, bravery in working with the Newsweek team to bring that thing to life, make a massive social statement, and the boat wake of that endures. That's why I do this. And I would say the same. It was one of my greatest, most memorable moments in my career to to make that happen. Jessica Ferger staring you in the face live here in studio, senior editor of health and wellness books at Union Square and Company, jessicaferger.com and on Twitter at Jess Ferger, F-I-R-G-E-R. It is such a joy to see you in person, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patience is a product of Offscript Health. 
We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.